Today we open our Bibles to what many people say is the oldest story of civilization. It's, even though the, it, it's, it's an ancient story, it's true. Matter of fact, every word in this book is true. But when you read the book of Job, it, it bleeds, it screams, it, it still hurts. This text centers around a man and his wife who are experiencing wave after wave of hell breaking, it, breaking loose on their lives and the lives of people closest to them. Job finds himself in the crosshairs of Satan and he's not being punished for any wrong that he's done. He's being pummeled because of the right that he is living. And this story of Job, one of the reasons God put it in here is because God wants us to understand how faith stands up and how hope doesn't give up when all hell itself comes against you. Most people who read this book, they're fascinated with chapters one and two. They get bogged down in the middle. When you open the book of Job, you can't just ease in. You've got to jump in. So take your copy of God's word, turn, turn to the Old Testament book of Job. If you haven't been there in a while, you go to Psalms and make a left. The first and second chapters of the book of Job, again, the text centers around a man and his wife who is experiencing, who are experiencing the enemy breaking loose on their lives. Satan attacks them. And it's very clear from the text the reason why Satan attacks them is because he's trying to break Job's faith. Satan's trying to break Job's faith. Satan is trying to break what? He's trying to break Job's faith. I know he leaves all of us alone, but he, he's, he's going after Job. And Job, Job was the greatest man on planet earth. I'm not making that up. I mean, look at what it says. Read verses one through three. Job was a man in the country of us. There was a man in the country of us named Job. He was a man of perfect integrity who feared God, turned away from evil. He had seven sons and daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Back then, that's all there was, was people in the East. He was the greatest man on planet Earth, which made him a big target. When you choose to follow God fully with your life, you become a target. Job is the one... Job is the one who told us that life is so full of troubles. Is that not true? Wow, is that not true? Unfair troubles and unwanted troubles, painful troubles and persistent troubles. I, I've been reading this book for over 50 years and can I say this in church? That there are some verses in here I don't like. Like, for instance, when Luke says what he says in Acts 14, when he says, it's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I don't like that verse. Do you like hardships? You don't like hardships. Nobody likes hardships. But the hardships that Job encountered, they're mind boggling. And for us today, they are instructive. And for us today, they are helpful. They're, they're needed in this room. 
Satan's fury has been unleashed upon this man and he's broken and he's hurting and he's frustrated. He doesn't understand it. He's deeply grieving. He's suffering. It, it went like this. Job chapter one, beginning in verse six. One day, the sons of God, meaning the angels, they, they came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. And the Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered and walking around on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God, turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Verse 10, haven't you, haven't you placed a hedge around him? His household, everything he owns, you have, you have blessed the works of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Verse 11, but stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns and he will surely curse you to your face. That's the motivation of the enemy. To break Job's faith. To break his integrity. To break his trust. Verse 12, very well, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. It says Job was a man of complete integrity who feared God, turned away from evil. I notice this truth in Job. Living a life of faith, living a life of trust does not always prevent the enemy from breaking loose on your life. Can I get a witness? Job was complete integrity. He had tremendous faith. He consistently honored God. He delighted in God. He walked with God. He treasured God above everything. He treasured God above everybody. Not only that, Job consistently chose to do what was right. Not only that, Job consistently chose not to do what was wrong. Every temptation that Satan had thrown his way, Job just chose to go with God. There's a lesson in there somewhere. Don't make the mistake, though, of thinking that Job wasn't already on Satan's radar. Satan had been working on Job and he was getting nowhere with him. Um, could we agree with this truth that evil doesn't leave any person alone? I'm looking at this man and I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, Mike, if, if, if I don't fully follow God, you know, then maybe I won't be a target. If the king of glory is the king of my life, then maybe the enemy would just leave me alone. You, you don't believe that, do you? Evil doesn't leave any person alone. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. That just, that, that might be a good Bible verse. Maybe put it over there in Matthew chapter five. Maybe write it down as being spoken from the lips of Jesus. I know he was talking about more than that. But rain falls on the just and the unjust. This enemy, Satan, he attacks nations. He goes after countries. He infiltrates governments and states and counties and bureaucracies. He goes after the king on his throne and the baby in the crib. He attacks the saint and the sinner alike. If you are breathing, Satan hates you. Well, that's not much of a word of encouragement, is it? He infiltrates the boardroom and the bedroom. He influences decisions in the entire human spectrum. His, his fingerprints are everywhere. Hitler didn't come up with that on his own. He was influenced. And there is no person in the history of humanity that Satan has just left alone. Shoot, he even went after Jesus, didn't he? Matter of fact, again and again and again. 
came and I'll come back at an opportune time. You can't walk through this world unscathed. No man has ever been able to keep his life hidden from all troubles. I, st I still hurt for Job. I don't know if that sounds strange to you, but I still feel his pain. W would you agree with this? Here's how I wrote it. Job did not deserve the pain he endured. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. And that's a huge hurdle that, that you and I and all of humanity struggle with. Life is not fair. We want it to be fair. We want it to be good. We want it to be right. But, but so much of life isn't fair. So much of life isn't good. A lot of life isn't right. When I was a younger man, I would say, God is good and life is great. Now I say, God is great. Sometimes life's good. <laughs> I know, I'm just joking. But that is true. God is always great. And you, you look at this man in his story and, and, and he doesn't hide from trouble. And you don't have to go looking for trouble. It'll find you all by itself. Now, now you know this truth. Satan is powerful, but he's not all powerful. Satan has some control, but he didn't have all control. He knows some things, but he doesn't know all things. In other words, Satan is limited. He's on a leash. He hates that leash. He's on a leash, but he is limited. Say these words with me. Satan is limited. Satan is limited. He's mean, but he's not the master. He's cruel, but he's, he's not in charge. He is not the king and he is not in control, but he's mean and he's limited. If he was not limited, he would have destroyed this world of men a long, long time ago. Jesus said, how many times over the last several weeks have we heard these words? The thief comes to, to do what, John 10, 10? To steal and kill and what? And destroy. And he will use persecution. He will use disease, sickness, war, injustice. He will use abuse. He will use assault. He will use death. He will use disaster. He will use a hundred other things all to try to do this one thing. Steal your faith in God. You're not going to let him, are you? I said, I said, I said you're not going to let him, are you? Because he... He, he, he's working on that. And it says in verse 13 that one day when Job's sons and daughters, they were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, meaning they, they killed his servants. And I alone have escaped to tell you, verse 16, he was still speaking when another messenger came and reported God's fire fell from heaven. It burned the sheep, the servants, and I devoured them, and I and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 17, that messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported the Chaldeans formed three bands. They made a raid on the camels. They took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported. Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. His wealth is wiped out. Servants are murdered. Fire falls from heaven. 
burns his livestock and other servants. Another raid. Whatever's left is stolen. More servants are murdered. And then it gets worse for them. All 10 of the children died. In one terrible afternoon, all his prosperity is gone. All of his children, his precious children are dead. That is unimaginable. It is, it is absurd. And you ask the question, people around the world have asked this question for thousands of years. What on earth is going on? And what I learned from Job, what you learned from Job is this. The world cannot answer that question. What on earth is going on? Only heaven can answer that question. And sometimes heaven doesn't give you an answer that satisfies you. But heaven does give you a person who satisfies you. And he is the savior. He is the sustainer. He is the king of kings. Here, he, he is my Jesus. And here is my question to you from Job. When the answer is not enough, is the Savior enough? When your mind cannot understand, will your heart still trust her King? Here is what I know for certain. If your Savior is not enough, there is no other answer that will be. This whole book centers around this one verse. Stretch out your hand, strike everything he owns, and he'll surely curse you to your face. Satan's accusing him before God. Satan says, I don't, I don't think Job treasures you above all that he has. And he certainly doesn't treasure you above his children. Now, don't miss this. What is paramount in the heart of God is that he is paramount in the hearts of his children. What matters the most to him is that he matters the most to us. And God knew that Job treasured him above everything and everyone else. Satan wasn't fooling the Almighty. And you look at Job's response. There's a lot of stuff I've left out for time's sake, but you can go back and read it for yourself. You got to take a deep breath because what Job says next is incredible, but it's also instructive. Look at verses 20 through 22. Then Job stood up. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. He fell to the ground and he cursed God. Is that what it says? He fell to the ground. He fell to the ground. He did what? He, wait, say that again. He, he, he fell to the ground and he worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And throughout all this, Job did not sin or did he blame God. That's what it says. I read his story and he taught me something. That when adversity rises, when you face adversity, you turn your face to God. When Job faced adversity, he turns his face to God. Let me be more specific. He turns his face to God and his dairy heir to the devil. It's, it's, it's a good practice. We highly recommend it. You understand the devil is not only causing this suffering in Job's life, but he's also trying to create a wedge between where Job is and where God is. And yet Job stands up and he goes, 
I'm going to praise you. It's not pity for Job. It's praise. It's, it's not blame. It's blessing. It's not warfare on God. It's, it's worship. Because the devil, you get this, the devil is a master, an absolute master at bringing about destruction in people's lives and then working to get us to blame God for it. You ever done that? You doing it now? I'm just asking because Job, Job's trying to help us out. For this unimaginable attack on his life, the enemy is trying to destroy his faith and, and trying to destroy his integrity. I, I would just say it this way. If you were taking notes, I'd write down these next five things because they're right out of the book of Job. There's actually about 41 things, but I just synthesized it down into five. Five lessons that Job teaches Mike. Number one, trust in the sovereignty of God even when I don't understand the plan of God. Now, God wasn't doing this to Job. The enemy was doing this to Job, but Job didn't know that. And what Job taught us was to trust in the sovereignty of God even when we don't understand the plan of God. Number two, to believe not only in the greatness of God, but in the goodness of God. Because I can stand and I can say and I can sing that my God is great, but when hell raises itself against me, I'm not just going to sing, my God is great. I'm also going to say, my God is good. Because the question is this, is God not good even when life goes bad? That's, that's the conclusion of a lot of people that I've known. A lot of conclusion of people that are walking in confusion. They conclude that, that God isn't good if life goes bad. God's not good if life makes a left turn. God isn't good if he doesn't stop that bad thing from happening because after all, he is God. He could stop it, couldn't he? God, what's wrong with you? Life makes so many left turns that sometimes I feel like I'm going in a circle. You've been there, right? I'm not the only one that's experienced that, right? It's, it's interesting to me that people still get mad at God for what happened to Job, even though Job didn't get mad at God for what happened to Job. Now, Job was, he was haunted and he was hurting. As a matter of fact, he would, lay, he would later say, God, I wish I'd never even been born. God, I, I, I wish I wasn't even alive. But he never questioned the sovereignty of God. He, he never questioned God's goodness. He never blamed God for what was going on. Even though this reign of pain that the enemy was bringing down on his life, he chose, I will believe in the greatness of God and in the goodness of God. Three, four, and five. I will praise him in the pain. Number four, I will bless him in the battle. Number five, I will worship him in the warfare. Praise him in the pain. Bless him in the battle. Worship him in the warfare. It was Job who said these words. I know that my redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my sin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. How my heart yearns for him so you can pout instead of praise. You can blame instead of bless. You can declare war instead of worship. But where does that leave you? I would submit worse off than where you, where you started. And Job teaches us don't, don't, don't do that. It's amazing to me. Even though God did not 
explain himself to Job. God did reveal himself to Job. And that's what he does in our lives. Sometimes God doesn't explain everything. Sometimes he doesn't explainify what is happening and why it's happening. But in every case, he reveals himself. In every case, he stands alongside of you. In every case, he stands up inside of you. And people are going, this is terrible what happened with Job. It just couldn't get any worse. And then it gets worse. Look, look if you would, verse seven, um, verse seven of chapter two. Verse seven, chapter two, Satan infected Job with terrible boils from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. And then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat upon the ashes. This was not a rash. This was not ringworm. Best that we know, because there was a pharaoh in those days that had black leprosy and they wrote extensively about it. And it sounds an awful lot like what Job had was the same thing that pharaoh had. It was a disease called black leprosy. If I described all of it to you, some of you literally would throw up in this room. So I'm, 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 I'm backing off a little bit. Let me just tell you some of it. Inflamed eruptions, unbearable itching, ulcers in your body that are filled with maggots, the erosion of your bones, the blackening and the falling off of your skin, loathsome pain, terrifying nightmares. And it says that Job was infected and inflicted with that from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. Life was beyond miserable. Here's how Job described it. In Job 30, 30, he said, and I quote Job, my skin is black upon me and my bones burn with heat. And the neighbors keep saying, I don't even understand. There's no way that this could get any worse. And then it gets worse. It falls from the lips of his bride in many years. And I understand it. I don't blame it. I don't, I don't blame her. I, I get it. Um, it's not just the physical suffering. It's not just the spiritual suffering and the emotional suffering. It's, it's, it's not just the relational suffering. Now there's this marital suffering. Because no mother should have to go through what she went through. I'm going to give you my opinion. It, it is so rare that I give you my opinion. So this, this part of the message, you can take it or leave it. Just, just this part. Um, my opinion is there's only one thing harder than being a father and that's being a mother. There's only one thing harder than a father losing a child, a mother losing a child. And she buried all 10 and she was broken and she was angry and on a better day, she would not have said what she said, but it flowed from her broken heart and it cascaded over her trembling lips. She looked at this man that she loved and she said, Job, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. That would go under the heading of what not to say. Every one of us in this room, we understand her words. They are born in the fire of unspeakable pain. But that is the worst thing that he could have heard coming from her lips. Here's the biblical warning. If you let it, pain will confuse your perspective. Because the enemy is absolutely brilliant at, 
at using pain to muddle your mind and to dim your determination and to blur your belief. Pain, pain can confuse your perspective. If, if you aren't careful, poison will flow from your lips instead of praise. If, if you don't watch it, darkness can fracture your faith and can cripple your commitment. We've, we've seen it happen too many times. I've got pastor friends. I, I've got dear friends of mine. That they watched somebody struggle. They watched some type of suffering or they endured suffering themselves. I've seen people throw in the towel. And if you have been on this narrow road at any time, you've got friends too who once served Christ with distinction only later to desert the very faith that they once heralded to others. If you let it, pain will confuse your perspective. It's pretty easy to be thankful and happy and faithful when all is well and all is right around you and within you, but you let the tsunami of suffering hit you in the face and in the heart. You lose your empire. You lose your offspring. You lose your well-being. And the enemy's going to try to use it to break you. I read Job and what Job tells me is this. No one can steal your victory if you don't let them. No one can take your joy in the Lord if you refuse to relinquish it. No one can eradicate your peace if you deny its release. Nothing can stop your spiritual growth if you don't allow it. But the enemy will try. He will try. Job has helped Cheryl, Melissa, and I walk this journey. This past, this past Wednesday was September the 23rd. September the 23rd is for us the hardest day of the year. We went to bed Tuesday night with this heaviness of heart because five years ago on Wednesday, September the 23rd, at 110, our Aaron took his life. My boy, our only son, He was a terrific guy. He was, he was loved by so many. He was gifted and he was passionate and, and he was a Christian who was always helping other people and he was kind-hearted and my soul, that boy was capable. He, he was one of those kids that, that, that other people wanted to be like. Matter of fact, he was involved in the college career ministry down at the church uh, close by our, our church and. um, and he wrote Brian, the leader of that college ministry called The Point, and, and he said, hey, Brian, my, my name is Aaron Smith. I've been to The Point the last couple of weeks, and first off, I want to say thank you. Y'all have a great ministry going, and last night in the middle of worship, my whole outlook on life changed. And I want to thank you for that. However, I also want to get involved if that's possible. I have a crazy story and just recently came back to Christ. But I'm not content with simply claiming his name. I want to not only grow in him, but also I want to help others grow as well. I feel like there are a lot of guys and girls my age that I could help. All that being said, I'd love to talk to you further. So if you wouldn't mind giving me a call and gave the number, I would appreciate it. I'll be at work, so I may miss you. But leave me a message and I'll call you back. Thanks again, Aaron Smith. So the main answer to your question is what happened? 
I'll just quickly say to you today that Aaron decided to play the prodigal. He'd been playing around in the dark, one foot in the light, one foot in the dark. Listen to me, that never works. It never works. He forgot who he was. He forgot whose he was. And for us now, there's always this, this empty chair. I hate the empty chair. And all that it represents, there's this long, painful reality of what will never be now on this side of glory. There, there are a thousand questions and there's this aching hole that's left in a heart when it shatters. Job has helped us. There's some things that we want to say to you today that we believe God has said for us to say to you today. So I want to introduce to you my bride of 35 years and our daughter, Melissa. This morning I bring Aaron's boots to use as an example of our purpose. Aaron's not here to share his purpose anymore, but all of us are. So I want you to remember you have a great purpose, and please live it and live it big. Aaron and I had a, a, a special relationship. Um, we would share life. He would tell me things and um, share uh, things from his heart, and uh, we would discuss life. And uh, it was a great time, but rebellion and poor decisions stole that from me. However, um, at one point, Aaron had moved back home, and he came in the kitchen one night, and he hopped up on the uh, chopping block, and he said, he said, Mom, God spoke to me tonight. I said, oh, yeah, what'd he say? And he said, well, and he just kept on telling me. It was, a, it was just a conversation. I said, oh, Aaron, that is great. You need to write that down, because I thought, if you write it down, someday somebody may need to hear it. Well, Aaron's not here to share it, but I'd like to read to you what he said. Questions for God tonight. Where do you want me? You've given me so many gifts. Which ones do I use? This is God's response. All of them. If you're not reaching your full potential, you're a waste. Now, I'm going to stop right here. In God's great goodness, if you notice when we read the Bible, he'll speak about farmers or about candles. He'll use different analogies because he's communicating what the people back then knew. Well, what Aaron knew was a truck, and he loved a truck. So God used the analogy of the truck. So here goes. There's different kinds of trucks in this world. There are pull trucks, trucks for hauling heavy loads, trucks for getting around town, Trucks for hauling small stuff. You have to figure out what kind of truck you are. I've instilled things in you that you have to figure out and see and use. But just because you are a pull truck doesn't mean you never need help from another truck. That's just swallowing pride and submitting. You have to figure it out. What were you built for? And reach your full potential. A truck that doesn't reach its full potential might as well be in a junkyard because that's where all trucks end up anyway. I haven't given up on you. Don't give up on me. Those last two sentences from God was saying to Aaron, I haven't given up on you. Don't give up on me. 
Well, in our Aaron's case, he did give up. But God doesn't, can, does not give up on us. After Aaron passed away, um, the Lord reminded me of Romans 8, 28. All have, for, um, I'm sorry. Um, all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And he reminded me that the word all means all things, even suicide. Well, he used that to encourage me, and he has done that over and over. He's kept his promise. He's used good. He's brought good out of it. I document it and try to keep, keep it so I can go back and read it. He keeps his promises. But also, Satan came to my mind, and he said to me, Well, you prayed for your son. How are you going to tell other mamas to pray for theirs when look what happened to yours? And I have to say, I felt the same thing. But I went to God about it. I said, okay, what do I do with this? And he said, trust me. Just kindly and softly, just in my mind. But this kept on. I would keep, Satan would throw it in my mind and I would go back to God. And I would say, what do I do with this? And he'd say, trust me. And it went on and on. Well, finally, one uh, Wednesday morning, I was volunteering in a children's Bible study. I think they were about four years old. The teacher had taught the lesson, and she said, okay, boys and girls, it's time for us to have quiet time. So she gave out their little blankets and their little towels, and they found places on the floor, and they, um, they just laid down. And she said, now, it's not nap time. It's time for you to talk to God. And she handed me one of those little blankets. So I found a little spot and laid down on the floor. And I thought, okay, I'm going to talk to God. And this, this struggle had been heavy on my heart that morning. And so I talked to God about it. And this time, he did not say, trust me. This time, in the midst of all those little children, he said, have faith as a little child. And in saying that, it helped to just make a turning point happened within my heart, and it helped in my sorrow, in my grief. I still, of course, have those days, but it turned me around, and it helped me to know I can trust God. I can trust Him. I can trust Him, and it gave me um, a passion for it. Well, as time went on, God did not say to me, well, I'm going to kick you to the curb because you're a failure as a mom. Your son took his life. No. He said, with my education degree, he said, get that resume ready and send it out. And what he has done is he has given me a second grade class for two years to teach little children. He didn't give up on his purpose for me. He showed me another way in a different direction. And I have a, a passion for those children that I didn't have years ago when I was in the classroom. I can tell them, you can trust God when I teach those Bible lessons that are hard to understand. I can tell them with passion, yes, we can trust God. In the classroom, up on the, the wall, it says, you are of great worth. Every day you have an important purpose. Live it big. That's what I say to you today. Aaron's not here to fulfill his purpose, but you are. Please, please live it and live it big. And mamas, you pray for your children. And you pray hard and you pray fervently and you trust God because he's got it. Whatever he chooses, we can trust him. God is good. 
we can trust him, and he is faithful. Good morning. Um, as my parents have shared, I also want to share with you just some of my perspective. Growing up, losing Aaron, and then the Lord healing my heart. I'm still in the process of that. Growing up, I had one of the most beautiful childhoods that a girl could ask for. It was the kind that I would like to give my future children one day. It was a home filled with Jesus, faith, love, peace, safety, support, healthy boundaries, and freedom. I was so carefree, I was the happiest kid that you would have ever met. Our home was filled with laughter, truth, and beautiful times together. And let me just emphasize that. We had so much time together. Life was so fun, and I can't tell you in a few minutes all of the treasures that I carry in my heart, but I hope to at least give you a glimpse into it. We had so many wonderful memories from camping, front yard football games, go-karts, traveling around the country, music recitals, archery tournaments, working in the yard together, dinner around the table, and learning creativity and life skills. My parents always had time for us, and every single day I heard the three most important words you need, I love you. They taught me the three most important things in life, and that is a relationship with Jesus, to follow him and to love one another. We had conversations about everything, from the beautiful faith-filled things of life to also the broken parts of the world and how to deal with them from a godly perspective. So now I want to briefly share with you my relationship with Aaron. I was almost two when my parents brought him home from the hospital, and from the very first moments, I adored him. We were best friends growing up. He was my playmate, a safe place, and even though he was younger than me, I looked up to him. He had the kindest heart, and he knew who he was. He had a heart to tell people about Jesus in a sweet and gentle way. He was smart, athletic, and hilarious. He could make me laugh harder than anyone else could. He was not the annoying younger brother. He was God's best to me, and I loved him with all of my heart and still do. With that said, that gives you a glimpse into the 10,000 wonderful memories we made as a family. But now that I've expressed the beauty with you, I want to also share with you some of the pain in my journey. I believe that healing comes with vulnerability. So in 2015, the Lord was speaking to me this verse in Isaiah 43 too. I will be with you when you pass through the waters, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire, and the flame will not burn you. This was my last semester of my senior year of college. We'd already been through several hard circumstances with Aaron. He was a great kid that made some bad decisions, um, but I truly thought the worst was over, so I was confused as to why the Lord kept speaking this verse to my heart. But little did I know that the Lord was just saying, I will be with you, because I had no idea what was around the corner. That semester of college, things went from bad to worse. It went from watching Aaron and his decisions to being pushed away, feeling betrayed, confused, and just very hurt. My heart was screaming, I'm here, I love you, and my arms are open. But as many of you have experienced, I'm sure, you can have your arms open wide in love, but it's that other person's decision to come back into those arms. Um, so after I graduated, um, I came home for the summer, and thankfully Aaron came back home. He had been gone for a little while in a very difficult time, but things were getting better. So one afternoon, I chose to go on a run in our neighborhood, and I want to share with you what the Lord shared with me. 
I just came back from one of the best conversations I've ever had. I was going to exercise and took my iPod, but I felt like the Lord said to not listen to music. As I was walking, he began to say one thing after another. Melissa, do you trust me? Yes, Lord. Who do you say that I am? So I began to name off the various things of God, creator, prince of peace. He said, then live like you know who I am. You don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. I am your God. Don't be afraid. I will strengthen you, and I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Then he told me, when you get to the stop sign, run as far as you can. But I was thinking, I've never run that far before. But he spoke this verse in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 to my heart. Run the race with endurance, keeping your eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of your faith, laying aside every sin and weight. So as I kept running, he kept speaking. Keep your eyes on Jesus and run until you get to heaven. I hold you now, but you will see me then. I know it's been hard on you, but you have done well. You have kept my ordinances. You have worried, but you have done well. Love, Melissa. I will help you love when you can't. I will never forsake you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. When you go through the waters, they will not overwhelm you. You will be persecuted, but I will not forsake you. I will never harm you. I may let you go through things so that people will see me. Little did I know that 22 days later, on September 23rd, my brother would commit suicide. Little did I know that I would have to run this race of life harder and further than ever before. I had no idea that my best friend would take his life and I would be the one to find him just seconds after the gun went off. So after that happened, this became my reality. What do you do when you are alone and traumatized by finding your brother who's taken his life? Your childhood best friend and brother and one of the best friends you would ever have is gone. What do you do when he takes part of your heart with him? There you are alone, yet not alone. What do you do when you have to call and deliver the horrendous news to your parents who are three hours away on a trip and have to travel through the night to get to you? What do you do when you feel like a little child all over again, terrified and afraid to be alone because of the trauma you have experienced? When you are scared to go to sleep because you are fearful a terrible dream might emerge? What do you do when the next week and month seem so overwhelming and you don't know how you can do life without your precious brother? Fast forward. Who is there when doubts and lies penetrate your mind, when confusion, grief, and anger all collide, when it feels like your faith is less now than when you were 10 years old? It's just a feeling, but it feels so real. What happens when the pain and exhaustion make you feel distant from the God who has gotten you this far and never left you? What do you do when joy is something you used to feel on a regular basis, but now it feels like someone is ripping it out of your heart, even though deep down you know it's there? What do you do when the energy and strength you need is completely depleted and all your physical and emotional resources are depleted? Who is there when you simply don't know how to do this over and over again? Who fights for you when Satan comes against your family to steal, kill, and destroy? And my answer to every single question is God. So the stage was set, but where do I go from here? I felt like my childhood faith was just being stripped away. There was a war between my head and my heart, what I knew to be true, but what I was feeling. I was angry. I was angry at my brother and at Satan and at the Lord. But the Lord helps us, right? Forgiveness is hard, but it's essential. And also the Lord showed me, Melissa, I didn't make that happen. That was not my will, and I hurt with you. But I still doubted his goodness, and I felt like, how could he have my best interest at heart if he would let me go through that? But let me share with you what the Lord said. We were on a trip in Yosemite the next summer after Aaron had died. And we were going down the road, and the Lord just spoke to me. He brought me right back to the cross, and he said, Melissa, I created this perfect world. 
And you as people, we messed it up. And the Lord could have taken his hand off of it and said, you know what, I'll leave them to their own demise, but he didn't. Instead, he sent Jesus Christ, his one and only son, to die on the cross for us. And that if we accept him, we get to walk with him in this life and live forever with him in heaven. That is the best interest for you and for me. But still, life is a journey, and I still doubted the goodness of the Lord. He began healing, but when we moved here in 2018, I was still so broken, three years after Aaron had passed. In February of 2019, I was on the way to work, and the Lord spoke part of this verse to my heart. Isaiah 43, 19, look, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And I was just pretty honest with the Lord, to be honest with you. And I said, okay, well, when is this going to happen? Because I've been waiting a long time. But I'm learning that the Lord is faithful to fulfill his promises. And when he says he'll do something, he will. I can't go into tremendous detail. But through his word, wonderful people he's put in my life, prayer, his provision, and waiting on him for various things, he has worked so much in my heart. I have a childlike faith again, a deeper trust, a stronger love and surrender, and a stronger faith, and I know that he is good. Am I still broken and hurting? Yes, I miss my brother every day, but the Lord has given me hope. So with these two verses, I will never leave you, and I am doing something new. He walks with me and holds me close. He is the God who keeps his promises, and what he says he will do. So just like my dad said, the Lord is good, and life is sometimes bad, but that doesn't make God bad. In fact, in Psalms, it says day after day, he bears our burdens. He hurts with us. And so I want to encourage you that if you know Jesus Christ, he will never leave you or forsake you. And if you do not know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, it is a simple act of faith that brings you into a relationship with him. You can simply, in your own words, just come to him and say, Jesus, I know I've done wrong and I ask forgiveness for my sins. I know that you died on the cross for me to save me from my sins and I accept your gift of salvation. And you simply confess him as your Savior and Lord to follow him the rest of your life. So you can hear our story. It's messy and it's painful, but what we really want you to hear is that God is good, and I believe that with all of my heart. He will never let you down, and he will never let you go. He's with you in the fire and the flood, and he makes things new. He always keeps his promises. We know what we've said. We, we don't know what you've heard. But we hope that you've heard these five things. To trust in the sovereignty of God even when you don't understand the plan of God. To believe not only in the greatness of God, but in the goodness of God. To praise Him in the pain, to bless Him in the battle, to worship Him even in the warfare. Thirteen months after Aaron took his life, uh, we went to a special place up in the mountains, a place called outside of Boone, Valley Cruces, means Valley of the Cross. It was a place where when I was just a teenage boy, the Lord called me and said, I want you. And I said yes to him. And, and so I went back to that place because there were some things that I needed again to nail down. So I stood there again where God had called me. I took this journal right here and, and, I, and I wrote these words. Um, 
I'm not going to read all of them, but this is just some of them. Today I sit on the side of this same mountain that I stood upon 36 plus years ago and I heard my father's voice calling me to give my life to him. It was here at the Valley of the Cross that he spoke to me midnight, Saturday night on this snow-covered mountain and I said yes and voluntarily, voluntarily signed up for this army. Active enlistment to fight hell, to live truth, to speak gospel. I was only 17, younger than you. And now I must make a choice to quit or to go forward. To quit with you or go forward without you. I weighed them both. I love you, Aaron, more than life itself, but I cannot quit with you. I must go forward without you. And so today I have to say goodbye. It isn't a goodbye. There's no good about it, but I have to let you go. And so I, I say to you, goodbye, my son. I will love you always. I forgive you. I will forever miss your companionship, your smile, your laughter. I will miss growing with you and growing older with you. I will miss all that I plan to do in your precious life. As someone has rightly said, this is a fierce goodbye. Aaron, on the afternoon of March 29th, 1995, God gave you, loaned you to me. Today, I give you back to him. I know you were there. I want, I need you here, but it will not again ever be. So goodbye, Aaron, Michael. Cheryl, Melissa, and I stand before you today to say that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what the enemy brings, no matter what life brings, we choose to stand. We choose to fight. We choose to believe. We choose hope over despair. We choose life over death. We choose Satan. We choose the Savior over Satan. We choose to stand. And until the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, until that morning breaks eternal, bright and fair, and the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Until that glorious day that you see him face to face, would you stand? Would you never stop? Would you run, never run away? Would you bow down to the king, but never bow out? Because one day you'll see him face to face. It'll be worth it. But until then, would you stand? Father, in this place today, we thank you that you stand among us as a God who is sovereign, who is good, who is mighty, who is holy, who is present, who cares, who catches all of our tears in a bottle. There must be an ocean up there of these things. I, I don't know. Lord, you have never once, you have never once walked away from us. All you have done, our whole existence is ran toward us. Before the foundations of the world were set in place, you were thinking about us. On the cross, you were thinking about us. When you rose from the grave, you were thinking about us. You say, Jesus, that you've gone to prepare a place for us. And one day you're going to come and get us and you're going to take us to be where you are. Well, until that day, Lord Jesus, we commit, we will run with you and we will stand. We give you the praise for your presence. We bless you for your strength.
And God, we thank you for what you're going to do on this day and on every day because we can trust in our King. Jesus, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, Praise the name of Jesus. God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May his countenance be upon you. And may he give you peace.